And uh, I learned something a long time ago is that kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, that's huge. And I take that with me every single day. I try to show every kid that I really care about them and who they are and who they are becoming. And I learned something. You'll, you can never rise to low expectations. Mm. So ever since every day in my classroom, I have high expectations for my students. And you're right. I, I, they see that I love them and I care for them. Um, and they're, they're, they'll do anything. You know, yeah. when they know that there's somebody is there in their corner wanting them to win every single day, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So Yeah. Welcome to the America's Podcast, where we're learning what it means to become a next-level neighbor, creating a place we enjoy with the people we love today. I am honored to be joined by Aaron Snipes III. Aaron lives currently in Little Elm, Texas, but has made a special appearance on the America's Podcast. He's a graduate of America's High School, and he is now the head director of bands at Braswell High School Band. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. No, thank you for having me. This is my honor. Really excited to talk to you today. That's great. Aaron, you came uh, for the 4th of July week, right? Yes. So that's why you're in town. Tell us a little bit about uh, your week uh, here in Americas. It's been amazing. <laughs> um, being a part of family and being with family. Uh, I brought my dogs from Texas, so we were all together. Uh, it's just been incredible. Just every time I come to this city, mm -hmm. I see something different. Yeah. Whether it's the a new restaurant or somebody I met that I didn't know. I'm still learning new people. Um, and I think one of the biggest things about being home this time was the stories that I've heard mm -hmm. from my parents getting together with their uh, siblings and just hearing stories. And I, I'm just like, I just sit back and like listen to everything because some of the stories I've heard before, but you never get tired of hearing them. That's right. You know, and it just reminds me how special of a place um, this is. So it's, awesome. it's been incredible and some good food. Yeah, there you go. It's there you good go. Food. Now, <laughs> You say two dogs. We got it. We we got it for our audience. We got to know what what the what the dogs are and what their names are. So I have a uh, mini golden doodle. He's about two years old. His name is Coda. Okay. And he's the shy one, the quiet one. Then I have a toy poodle, and he's about five pounds of sass and everything. <laughs> uh, his name is Zeke. He bullies Coda. Okay. Um, but they are just, those are like my kids, and, and they're just incredible. So I brought them with me. My brother has a dog named Ace, and Ace is a handful. <laughs> so you put those yeah. three together, and it's like a recipe yeah. for disaster. It's, it's been interesting this week. That's great. So how often do you get a chance to come to Americas? Um, usually, I try to come as much as possible, but usually it pans out to be about three times a year. Um, and sometimes I'll jump in for a special occasion. I'll get invited to uh, at my home church mm -hmm. or something with my family. So usually about three times a year I'm here. Okay. That's great. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to, to spending some time with you on the podcast. We've talked a little bit on the phone. Man, just already blessed by our conversations. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looking forward to having some more, um, whether that's on the phone or even seeing you when, you when you get a chance to come through. So you're the head director now. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how you prepare for a performance or a concert. I would love to hear just as, as you're working through that, what is that like? Well, my life I've, I've come to accept is a performance, <laughs> one big performance, because I'm always uh, performing 
you know, either here or there doing something with students, um, myself in church. I'm also a music director at my church, a staff pastor as well. Um, so it's always being on the front stage. And it's been like that since I can remember. And I think by now you would think I would have gotten over the nerves and the nervousness. But I think when you understand the call mm-hmm. and the impact of the call that you're in every time you stand in front of uh, life's most valuable treasure, which is people. Wow. Every time you stand in front of them, there's some butterflies that come with that. So I still get butterflies. I mean, just from a class coming in and rehearsing my kids, I get butterflies because I understand like literally the future is in front of my, my, my eyes. Wow. So, uh, but, you know, I'm a, I've always been very quiet, reserved, Mm -hmm. but yet a um, a fireball. Mm. And um, I call it a velvet brick. Uh, I'm I'm velvet on the outside, but I'm a brick within. And so my kids probably would describe me as being pretty strict, but Mm -hmm. very nice. And some days they don't know how to understand me because I'm very, um, I know exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, but yet I try to do it in with love and compassion and caring. And, uh, I learned something a long time ago is that kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, that's huge. And I take that with me every single day. I try Mm -hmm. to show every kid that I really care about them and who they are and who they are becoming. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I think there's a, there's, there's a beautiful, what it sounds like to me is you have a, a passion for what you do and you want them to know that that passion needs to come out of them because of of the excellence what you want to see in them and you yes. know that they can get there and you know yeah. what that standard is yes. and at the same time your passion not just for music but your passion for the students there are also coming out so it's just like okay like he's trying to get us to a place that we're we're not there yet right. um, so he's holding us to that yes. but he also cares about us a- absolutely so, and i learned something you you can never rise to low expectations mm. so every since every day in my classroom i have high expectations for my students and you're right i i they see that I love them and I care for them, um, and they're they're they'll do anything. You know, yeah. when they know that somebody is there in their corner wanting them to win every single day, uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. So what's the classroom setting like? How many how many students do you have? What's that? So I teach uh, three concert bands. Uh, we have a marching band with about 220 students in it. Um, I have about four jazz bands that I teach, and we have two winter guards and a plethora of percussion ensembles. Okay. So it's a full comprehensive program. Yeah. Um, and so with 220 students comes 220 personalities. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so some days, you know, it's just hard to kind of mm-hmm. keep all of them on the straight and narrow, but uh, it's my calling. It's my passion. So yeah. I, I enjoy doing yeah. it. What, what would you say is, I, I'm thinking about like uh, categories of different um, musical instruments, maybe the personalities are kind of the same, like what's the Absolutely. easiest category of like, all right, they're going to get their stuff done, but this, the, you know. Wow, that, that's hard, because <laughs> you have the flutes who are always with it, you have the trumpets who are the arrogant ones, you have the baritones who are the weird ones, the saxes, I mean, it's just every single section has a person, the percussionist who... That's always a question mark. You have no idea what they're doing in the back of the room. 
Um, every single section has their own personality, and you know, I'm a trombone player. Okay. So I, you know, that I think that says something wow. in itself. But um, yeah, it, it's it's always a fun time when you put all of these different people in the same room. Um, and we're able to take different sounds, different mm -hmm. instruments, and create harmony together. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful picture of what the world could be yeah. and what the world could look like. That's a beautiful illustration. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I love that. Now, I will tell you this. I looked at your uh, Facebook page, and you have like a really awesome hype video. I think it's like a minute and 40 seconds. So if anyone's on <laughs> Facebook, they just want to go to your really quickly over there, check it out. We it's, made bands look in, right? cool. I mean, yeah. it, looked, it looked awesome. I was like, wow, that's great. Um, yeah, we play that every Friday night uh, before the halftime show. Okay. And I have kids coming up saying, oh my gosh, man, it's cool. Yeah. I never knew that. It was more cool than the football type video. Like, well, that wasn't the intent. That's but right. That's we'll right. Take Come it. on, yeah. Let's let's do this thing. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, not only do you have a strong passion for for music and for students, but you also, through our conversation, you have a strong passion for Americus. Yes. And so, I would love to hear a little bit about growing up in Americus, being a part of of the city, but also your family's impact. It's not just that you are here. Your, your family has impact here uh, through generations. So I would love to get a chance to hear from you. Tell me a little bit about your family's impact, but also your personal experience in Americus. For sure. So I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. I think we spoke about. We yes. actually was born Abs in the same like yes. area, Darmstadt yeah. Hospital. Um, I, I'm a military kid. My dad retired from the U.S. Army, mm -hmm. so we moved from. Germany to Fort Benning. Yep. Uh, I think it's Fort Moore now. That's right. Um, and then we moved down to Americas from there. So most of the, my formative years and the years I really remember was mm -hmm. from Americas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't realize how special of a place Americas was until mm -hmm. I left it. Sometimes you don't understand to realize how special of a place you're in until you're uh, outside of it. Yeah. But I have very, very strong ties to Americas and have for many years, uh, starting with my granddad, as far as mm -hmm. I can remember, yeah. uh, my granddad, who was um, a preacher, he was an evangelist, uh, overseer Aaron Snipes Sr., and um, he planted churches in Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, and our headquarters church, our main church is here in Americas, wow. uh, one of the first holiness Pentecostal churches in the area. Mm -hmm. um, he did it right over there on Mayo Street. Okay. Uh, he was passing by that area and he saw a huge trash dump um, and he just looked to the right and he felt the Lord say, that is where I want you to build my church mm. on a heap of ruins. Yeah. And wow. from there, if you go down Mayo Street, turn right, it's called Aaron Snipe Senior Boulevard, there's United Holiness Church. Wow. And so he and my grandmother, who's still alive, um, uh, evangelist Buford Snipes, uh, she still is a part of this community. They did so many things for this community to bring lives and change lives um, that started from here mm -hmm. and just spread all around this area. And... Um, and so just hearing of these stories of them, and even though I only knew my granddad about eight years, he passed away when I was eight years old, mm -hmm. uh, he made such an impact in those eight years that today I'm still speaking about him wow. everywhere, everywhere I go. And that That's was amazing. a product of, of America's Georgia. Um, from there, 
you know, my whole family, if you ever hear about the Snipes family in America, they're known for music. That was, you know, my aunts, my uncles, everybody sings. Uh, they have yeah. a, 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 you know, they've sang, they have albums and groups. And, you know, we're just known for music. And so when I was about five years old, uh, my mom sat me, and my mom doesn't have any musical training. Sorry, mom. Uh, she doesn't have any musical training. She sings, um, and someone taught her how to play a song on the piano. And she said, with what I have, the little that I do know, I'm going to pass that on to my son. Mm. So at the age of five, she sat me on a piano, taught me this little song. And that one experience sparked the music wow. passion that I have today. And so before wow. my feet could touch the pedals, I was on the piano playing that one song uh, and it just grew. And then of course I was nurtured by the church mm -hmm. because then they took me as a child, placed me on my aunt's organ. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I would just watch her play and I didn't understand it. I don't think anyone did, but what that was doing to me was it was feeding and sparking a flame mm -hmm. on the inside of passion. Yeah. And, you know, when you have young people, you just never know what mm -hmm. that one experience is going to do. Yeah. And when I say I was nurtured by the church, I was nurtured by the mm -hmm. church. Every gift, every desire, every possibility. Yeah. Uh, the church said I could do it and it could be possible for me. Wow. And so, yeah, I, I grew up, um, I, I played in United Holiness Church. Mm -hmm. uh, at the age of 12, uh, my mom uh, remarried. Mm -hmm. And my stepdad, who I, you know, he's like my hero, uh, George Edge. He's um, CEO of the Housing Authority here in Americas. Yeah. Again, yeah. strong ties That's to right. Americas. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been in our family since I could remember. Mm -hmm. um, he also was a pastor and is a pastor. He's a bishop. Mm -hmm. of a church at eight, at the age of 12 he asked me to be his music director wow so i was 12 years old uh teaching adults in the choir <laughs> playing <laughs> yeah. for church teaching the youth choir um and from there i just began to just you know, just grow in my faith in God, grow in my musicianship, and yeah. growing in how to relate to people. Yeah. Um, and that started at the age of 12. And from there, I went through the public school system, mm -hmm. um, went to Staley Middle School okay. at the time. Uh, Carol Clueball was my middle school band director. Uh, I'll never forget her. She made such an impact on my life. And we're friends on Facebook now. We still talk. Oh, that's awesome. um, I, she introduced me to the trombone. And I played trombone all the way through middle school. Went to the America's High School yep. uh, at the that's time right. when there was the city school, America's High School, and Sumter High School out in the country, or mm -hmm. the county, I should say. Yeah. Um, I went to America's High School. I saw you had Principal Juanita Wilson. Yes. She was my principal. Um, and from there, I just began to go deeper and deeper into not only music, not only to, into the people of this area, mm -hmm. but really uh, the impact mm -hmm. of what America's meant to yeah. us at the yeah. time. And I didn't really understand it fully, mm -hmm. but I knew it was a place I could call home. And that was wow. really special. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, it's so as you're. What were you like as far as relationship with other people your age, connecting with them? What, what were your relationships like growing up? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I was the type, to be quite honest, uh, in high school and middle school, you had, it was very, 
segregated in a lot of ways racially. So I had, uh, you had the black students who kind of hung out together, then you had the white students who hung out together. Mm-hmm. Well, I was the go-between. <laughs> um, yeah. And I had friends in both parties and both sides, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was just, I just saw people as people. I, didn't, mm-hmm. I saw kids as kids. We all were uh, the same. Yeah. You know, and we, we may have been had different experiences, but deep down inside, we all wanted the same things and we all had the same drive and passion. Mm-hmm. And so I was the type of kid, uh, especially in high school, where I kind of did everything. I was a part of the drum major of the band for mm-hmm. three years. I was um, I was in the choir mm-hmm. and the, what we call the America's High Singers. OK, um, I was a part of that. And then I also um, I, I did sports growing up as well. So I was kind of had my hand in everything as well as academic um, things as well, uh, being an yeah. honor graduate and, and, and so forth. But I kind of gravitated to all people. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in high school, I was actually, I would attend the youth group at First Baptist Church up okay. here. Yeah. Um, I was the only African-American <laughs> in the church, but I didn't care. I would yeah. sing in, with the choir. I would go on the trips. In mm-hmm. fact, some of my closest friends, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Curlin and uh, Stephen Marino, and, and you had Katie Krill on, yeah. and she was part of that, that group. Uh, we all were just such great friends, and their, mm-hmm. their parents took me into their home like I was yeah. their son. I didn't look like them, had mm-hmm. a different background. Um, religious, racially, whatever you, you name it. Mm-hmm. But they took me in. They invited me into their home. They invited me to their table. Yeah, We would eat together and pray together. And it was just some of the most formative years of, of, of my life. Wow. Um, I made some l- lifelong friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in eighth grade, I can't mention my, my childhood without mentioning my best friend. Um, his name was Martin Malik Sabs. Okay. Um, Lorena Barnum Sabs, you may know the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's over Barnum Funeral Home here. Okay. Um, her and me and her son were best friends. And in eighth grade, um, he passed away mm. when I was in eighth grade. And Martin was like me. He didn't care about race. You know, we both were in things together, white, black, Hispanic, mm-hmm. it didn't matter. Um, and as we were getting ready to go to ninth grade, I got the call one night that um, Martin was gone mm. and had transitioned. And the reason I bring that up was because it was life-changing to me. It helped me understand the brevity of life. And um, I had understood that with my grandfather who had passed earlier, but now having someone my age, mm-hmm. my best friend, um, who would not continue into high school with me yeah. really, really impacted me. Yeah. And I told myself that day that when I go into high school, I'm going to do everything I can to honor his memory. Wow. To do everything I could to show, because this is what he would have done. Yeah. He would have been active. He would have loved people. He would have been a part of this school and the community. And so I did. And that changed my life forever. And so wow. I, I, I still talk and still remember him fondly. Yeah, I mean that's those formative years, right? Yes. I mean, uh, a, a death, um, but also your faith, also relationships. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that the Lord really wanted you to have this this 
this experience yeah. to help form you and build you into the person that you are today. Yes. And it's, I, I've already been encouraged by our conversation. Again, like we said, we, we talked on the phone. Um, and, and I think my hope is that other people would experience many of the same things, obviously not the passing away of a good friend, mm-hmm. the transitioning of a friend, but some of these formative moments, you know, that we can help create now yeah. in people, right. And yeah. students now in kids now, um, how, how would you, I'd love to hear too within that. So you're, you're, you're kind of passing in between how did your groups of friends like perceive you, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense? I mean, were they encouraged by that or were they just like, Oh, well, who are you? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Um, I think that was a big question. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I think I was at the time I was too black to be white mm-hmm. and I was too white to be black. And for me, it was kind of like, where do I fit? What is my purpose? Um, and so I think my friends, I, I, in that time, I never failed to be me. And I think that's important for any young person mm. is that the best version of yourself is uniquely you. Mm-hmm. And when I was be around my white friends, I would tell them about my black experience. Mm-hmm. I would tell them about my my. Uh, Black church, mm-hmm. which was different than first, you know, yeah. uh, the first Baptist yeah. church, because yeah. yeah. first Baptist church, we had hymnals mm-hmm. and there was no drums. It yeah. was, you know, it was very put together, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, my church wasn't like that. Yeah. You know, we had drums, organ, shouting, running, all the things. And so I would express that to my, my white friends mm-hmm. and they would love it. Mm-hmm. And I would invite them to my things at my church, and they would enjoy it. And then when I went around my my black friends, I would invite them to my you know the white church, and they would have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think what it was, you know, my friends as they looked at me, I I, I don't think they could ever put me in a category, mm-hmm. you know, as far as this is who he is and this is how he is. Yeah. I just love people, mm-hmm. and you know, I just kept you know inviting people yeah. to a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's probably one of the hardest things. We're talking about being a next level neighbor. We're talking about neighboring well together. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things that we'll ever have to experience is who are you outside mm-hmm. of even your own experiences of growing up in whatever culture you're in is be able to say, who am I uniquely? Because you're going to have to pass through that. If, to be a good neighbor, you've got to be able to put yourself in a vulnerable position, yes. right? Yes. You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit because you're going to feel awkward. You're going to feel a little bit out of place. Yes. And people are going to try to figure you out. But hopefully, like you said, there's a whole new category that's built, Mm -hmm. a category that we all want to be in. And I think that's the pursuit that we want is, what if we didn't have to find ourselves in one or two categories? What if there was another category altogether? And that's actually what we should be living but it's hard to get there. It and, I, and I feel like your, your experience helps us to really translate that and go, okay, well, if that's what we're looking for, right? It's, it's, it's not just one or, or the other. It's not that binary. It's, there's actually another option if we're willing to, to step into that. Um, and so what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and if you're willing to allow people to be themselves. Yeah. One of the travesties of life is that we try to get people to be like us. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we'll accept people, but at the end of the day, we're going to accept them to change them, to morph into who we are, mm-hmm. our values, our beliefs. But when you can respect people for who they are, what yep. they believe, their values, uh, and you may not believe it, you may not accept it, but 
to be a listening ear, to hear them, yeah. not to have a rebuttal, but to hear them, to hear their heart. Yeah. I think that I think you're more like Jesus at any point mm. in your life, you yeah. know, when yeah. you when you do those things. So yeah. I've always tried to live my life to not only be who I am, mm-hmm. but to expect uh, for to to accept people who yeah. they are. And yeah. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, and I think that's I mean again, that's that's an obstacle that we all have to to engage in. And yeah. and the reason is is because like you said there is something that's in us that says, if they're not like me in this particular, I feel uneasy now. I need to fix a problem. The reality is that it doesn't, what their belief are or what their actions are, they don't have to personally affect you. And so you got to be able to get to that place, but you got to have a connection. Most of us are connected to our relationships. And so if our relationships are bad, we feel bad. Mm-hmm. But what if our relationships were progressive, growing, and we were still ourselves, we we're still whole. And that's mm-hmm. a very hard place to be, which I think this is the reason why we need connection with the Lord, because He is the relationship that's sustainable. He's mm-hmm. the relationship that's enduring. He's steadfast, right? And so when things happen around us, what we're, what we're, we don't have to affirm certain things. We don't have to agree with certain things, mm-hmm. but we can be in a position of wholeness while we're living life with others and just see how the Lord works that out. I mean, that's, but I think that's really, really hard because I think a lot of people right now are thinking, well, if I don't address it, am I affirming it? Right. And what is that balance? I mean, how do you, how do you, how how do you try to process that, that question? How do I allow people to live, not necessarily affirming everything, but also just making sure that I'm whole and I'm, and I'm having a conversation with someone else? Well, I got delivered from people a long time ago. Yeah. And the perceptions of people. Mm. Because one of the things that people, the reason people have that look of like, if I'm not, uh, if if I look like I'm accepting it, I'm affirming it, Mm -hmm. uh, is because of what other people would think about them, you know, and their affirmation of it. And working in the school system, you see everything Mm. in every people, especially in this generation. You know, young people now are different than when I was a young person. Yeah. It's a totally <laughs> new day. And you have to deal with students who come and say, hey, these are my pronouns. Mm-hmm. Things that we didn't have to worry about, you know, and the, uh, you know, certain persuasions. And even where I live, even religious persuasions, mm-hmm. everyone's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. That was different. Mm-hmm. Growing up in America is, I mean, you you had smaller sects of, of religious things, but mostly it was Christian. Mm-hmm. When I moved down to South Florida, so I, I left America, went down to South Florida, which is a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And you realize you had people from all over who, who were Jews, Jewish. Mm-hmm. You had people who were um, from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. who had certain beliefs and traditions and, and religious things in, from the Caribbean. And mm-hmm. I had to cope with, it's not just black, white, Hispanic. Yeah. As I, growing yep. up in Americas, I, that's what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And the first realization was that when I went to South Florida, I was at a Wendy's getting some food. And I saw a black person giving me my food. And the second they began to speak, I realized they weren't not like me mm-hmm. because she had this strong accent. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she began to speak partly in Creole because she thought I was mm-hmm. from, you know, uh, Jamaica as well. And I began, it, it was, I remember it being eye, uh, eye-opening because it was mm-hmm. like, 
I'm not in Americas anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm in people that may look like me, but we don't have the same values. We don't have the same religious principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning to work with people, students, administrators mm-hmm. that don't believe like you has yeah. taught me that I have to be so rock steady in what I believe, yeah. but yet I don't have to uh, try to evangelize everyone to believe like I believe. Mm-hmm. I can let my light shine, mm-hmm. and when the opportunity presents it themselves, yeah. I can point them to Jesus Christ, yeah. who I believe is the cornerstone of it all. Yeah. But that's not how I first engage with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't come with my Bible and <laughs> yeah, say, dude. you know, repent. Or you, I think the time, the days for that is over. You have mm-hmm. to compel men to come, mm-hmm. and when you compel men to come, the first thing is letting them see the Jesus in you and they may mm-hmm. not be able to put a label on it my kids maybe don't always know that mm-hmm. I am a pastor a preacher or yeah. I believe in Jesus like I do but they see and they feel the love yeah. and when they feel that love they'll come to me and say you know Mr. Snipes something's different about you yeah and then it opens up a door that's right for me to introduce them to my best friend I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, that's that's so that's so encouraging. Um, and 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 right there again, being born in Germany and then moving around, you just realize that this world is really big. Yes. There's a lot of different things going yes. on. And again, being confident in who you are and what God has made you, right? And then being able to 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 share that, uh, share your life with others, share your light with others. So I think I think that's really really huge. And um, I would also love to hear because you you had mentioned you know being in Florida now being in Texas I mean you know being in a starting in a uh, in Americas graduating what what helped you make those decisions to get to Florida and then now being in Texas so tell us a little bit about that well when I was a senior <clears throat> I wanted to go to Indiana University okay. um, unfortunately at the time for me I was always independent. And I always knew I did not want to stay in Americas. Um, My siblings stayed in this area, but I knew I always wanted to leave. And so I was looking to go as far away as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was also looking to go to the best music schools. Okay. So I would type into, you know, learn about Juilliard and learn about Indiana and learn about all the great music schools out there. So I really wanted to go to Indiana University. My mom was like, that's way too far. Costs way too much. You're not going to be able to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she convinced me, and she tried to convince me, why don't you go to one of the Georgia schools? Because at the time, I think they had the Hope Scholarship or something mm-hmm. where you could go to a Georgia school for free. Um, because at the time, my parents um, had not saved up for college for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the few students in my fa- or kids in my family who got to experience college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think my mom at the time had graduated from college nor, or went to college nor did my dad. And so college was a new thing in my, in, in my family. And so I told them, I still want to go to a great music school. And uh, so I began to look at certain schools and my parents they never wanted to break my heart, but they knew at the time they could not afford it. Yeah. And they were praying to God, you know, how is this going to happen? We know that he's talented. We know he needs this. And I wanted to go to Florida State University because they had one of the best music schools. Oh. And it was out of state. And the out of state of tuition was in, in, insane. Yeah. And they were praying. They were crying because they knew they, they couldn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. They got a phone call from white gentleman in the community in Americas who had followed my path 
through middle school, through high school. Mm. Um, and they got a phone call from him and he said, hey, you may not know me very well, but I want you to know I want to do something. I want to pay for your son his wow. first year to go to Florida State. And that was right after my parents had been praying mm. for a breakthrough to happen. <laughs> they got that phone call. And they told me, and I just began to cry. Yeah. And I, I cried because, for a couple of reasons, because this was someone who was, sorry, I'm getting emotional, no. who didn't look like me, didn't have my experiences, didn't have any investment other than mm. I believe in that black boy mm. right there. And he was willing to sow a seed to allow me to go to the school of my choice. Mm. And he said, the only thing I want you to do, you don't have to pay me back. This is not a loan. This yeah. is, I'm sowing into you. But the only thing I want you to do is when the time comes and you're able to pay it forward into some other young person's life. Mm-hmm. And it was life changing. Wow. So from there, I went to Florida State and I, I had to do well. <laughs> I had to do well. Yeah. Um, and I went to Florida State four years. I graduated at the top of my class. Love it. Um, and I got a phone call saying that we want you to do your internship in South Florida. My, mm-hmm. my aunt lived in South Florida, so it made sense. Yeah. I moved in with her, did my internship. Uh, right as I was finishing my internship, they said a school has just opened up. Mm-hmm. You really need to take this school. Um, I took it. Uh, it was a very uh, predominantly white school mm-hmm. um, and very, it was almost like they didn't, the people in the community did not want me to be hired mm-hmm. because number one, I was fresh out of college, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't look like the community that they lived in. It was a very um, affluent community. And, um, and so they doubted if I should be hired, but the principal mm-hmm. didn't. Nora Rosenswag, I'll never forget her, Jewish woman, and she called me, hired me over the phone. Yeah. And I took that band from, you know, 70, 75 kids and just grew it over the years that we won three state championships, did so many wonderful things by the grace of God. And 12 years later, um, I felt like there was another shift that mm-hmm. needed to happen. I had done a lot. We took the band to Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade wow. in New York City. Um, and I felt like it was time to move to the next. I didn't know where that was. I was like, Abraham, God was just like, I'm going to send you. And when you get there, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I just did my job and said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up moving to uh, Texas. Another school opened up right as I was moving mm-hmm. there. And they kind of hired me to come do the, to do the same thing there. Um, and doors just began to open. I got my master's there at the University mm-hmm. of North Texas. And my band now is just flourishing and God is doing great things. So I say all of that to say um, it was all, I, I can't take any credit for mm-hmm. any of that. Yeah, It was all being in the right place at the right time. Mm. And the timing of God, and everyone may not believe that, like everything happens for a reason. I certainly do. Yeah. That you're placed in a certain time, in a certain city. People will say, mm-hmm. can any good thing come out of America's? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm a testament to it. That's amazing. That's so amazing. Um, I'd love to hear, too, just, you know, being in America's, where the towns, or even the town that you're living in now, like what's... Um, 
what's the uh, the demographics? Uh, is it a big town, small town? Like what? And 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 which one um, are are you just have you really enjoyed being in? that city. Yeah, for sure. So where I live now is the, I think the second fastest growing area in the United States. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's very, very diverse, mm-hmm. uh, all different types of nationalities there. Um, and it's growing immensely, mm-hmm. probably growing faster than they have the infrastructure for. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people ask me, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> I always proudly, I don't say Germany. I don't say Florida. I say Americas. Yeah. And people say, America. Like, right. yeah. America, S. we're all in America. Right. Like, no, no, no. Right. no, no. Then yeah. I say Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and if they don't get that one, then I say Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> That's right. You know, and they eventually look it up and Google it and they, they see what Americas is. You know, my house is in Little Elm. My heart is in Americas. Mm. And this will always be home for me. Um, when I come here, and I, I almost feel bad for admitting this, and my parents probably never knew this. I cry every time I live, leave the city. Mm. Mm. When, I, when I'm at my parents' house and I'm getting ready to leave and I drive down the driveway mm-hmm. and I see my mom and dad on the porch waving bye-bye. They mm-hmm. always do it. Yeah. They never just say bye. Yep. They always have to follow me out, stand on the porch, and watch my car leave. <laughs> They don't know it, and I don't think I've ever told them, but I cry every time. Mm. Sorry. Mm, that's good. Because home is where the heart is, mm-hmm. and my family is home mm. and will always be. Um, and we haven't really talked about the impact of my mom and my dad, but they are my heroes. Mm. I'll never forget when I was in Florida and I knew, I was a grown man at the time, yeah. and I knew God was calling me to Texas. And I called my parents, and they said, we're there. And my parents are getting up in age, they're young at heart. Yeah. Um, but they drove from America down to South Florida. Mm. They literally stayed up all night, packed up my apartment, because I, you know, I was just overwhelmed. It was just a lot for me to do. Mm. In their strength, they stayed up all night, mm. packed up my apartment, put on a U-Haul, drove 19 hours across the country to Texas for me, mm. unloaded, unpacked the U-Haul. Mm. My parents, two people, yeah. uh, set up my apartment, and they were with me every step of the way. When we were driving to the airport, because I was driving them so they could get on the plane and head mm-hmm. back to yeah. America's, I cried like a baby. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Yeah. I mean, ugly cry. I mean, the yeah. kind of cry, like, it's just snot and everything. It was bad. Yeah. I cried like a baby because for the first time in my life, my home was leaving. Mm. And that was my parents. And they are the, if there, if there is a picture, a tangible, physical presence of Jesus and his love, mm. I see that through my parents. Wow. I see it every day. And th- their love cannot even match his love. Mm-hmm. Their love is still conditional. Yeah. But man, it, it's, it's something that has changed my life, their love. I know I can count on them. Mm-hmm. I know I can call on them for anything. And, and that's a beautiful thing. So 
I say all of that to say America's is definitely where my home is. Yeah. It's where my heart is. Love it. Love it, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's so, so encouraging. Um, I'd love to ask too, when it gets to um, even describing Americus, right? You've got students, you have 220 students, you know, and they may ask, so tell us a little bit about, about this hometown. You know, how do you describe Americus now to, to those who ask? That's a great question. Um, I tell them, yeah, it's a small town mm-hmm. with a big heart. Yeah. Um, I tell them how far I've seen it come. Mm-hmm. And yet things aren't perfect. Things aren't where we want them to be in every aspect. Mm-hmm. But man, America has come so far. Yeah. In the race relations, in the, um, the business, the commerce. Mm-hmm. It's come so far in what... And uh, and how we're servicing the people of Americas, and I yeah. see that from afar. I don't have to live here to see that. Yeah. So I tell my kids that it's a place full of possibility, mm. that it has not even reached its full potential, and that's encouraging. Yeah. I tell them of the stories of Americas, how Dr. King came through Americas, was mm-hmm. uh, jailed here mm-hmm. in Sumter County. I tell them of, you know, the girls who were in, in Leslie in that area mm-hmm. who were uh, also. Uh, in jail or, or or captive, I tell them all the things. I tell them the stories that my parents tell me that mm-hmm. how on Wednesdays back in the day the town would shut down. When mm-hmm. I was growing up in America, I didn't understand why some of the local businesses on Wednesdays they were closed. Mm. I was like, of all days, why Wednesdays? And the stories of my parents telling me that that was because they came from slave days when mm. they would sell the slaves in downtown Americas on Wednesdays. Mm. So all the businesses would close and everyone would go and see the mm-hmm. slave trade and, mm. and see the slaves being sold. Mm. And even growing up in the time of America that I grew up, to see that businesses still closed from that. Mm. I tell my kids of those stories, yeah. you know, that even though we've come a long way, we still have a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. I tell them of the food. Yeah? In America, because there's nothing, you know, some of the food here is, is great. And I tell them of that. I tell them about the churches, the mm. rich cultural heritage through the churches mm-hmm. and through um, the history, driving down the streets, Lee Street, and seeing some of the big houses. I tell them about Georgia Southwestern, mm-hmm. that this little town has a state university. I remember when the name was changed to State University. That was a big deal for us. Yeah. You know, I tell them all of these. I tell them about Millard Fuller and about Jimmy Carter. And I tell them about um, all the, the Habitat for Humanity mm. and how from this small town, we've literally reached the world, how my mom, who was an employee of Habitat until she retired recently, how she went around the world building houses for the less fortunate. I tell them about all of those things. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I I think, um, you know, even Americus, one of the things that that I've heard in the podcast just by interviewing people and spending time with people is just kind of where students even are, you know, their, their perspective, perception of life, their perception of, 
their future, um, and the hope of America is being able to try to connect with that, to connect with these students that they a feel loved, that they feel like they belong, not just for the moment, but even after they're you know they go to college, they can come back and reinvest into some of these areas. Um, I'd love to hear from your perspective of just spending time with students, whether that's, you know, uh, people that you know in Americas or even some of the students now in Texas. Like what what are students really longing for that, you know, people here can also recognize and maybe even pursue and, you know, and try to connect with students? I think it comes down to four things that students need. Number one, they need something to hope for. Mm. They need something to believe in. They need something to love. Mm -hmm. And then they just need something to do. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it comes down to that. If we want to, quote unquote, save this generation, Mm -hmm. I think we have to give them hope for the future Uh, through mentorship. Mm -hmm. I think we have to give them something to love. And first coming with starting with loving themselves. Mm -hmm loving themselves regardless of their faults, their frailties, mm-hmm. their mistakes. I think we have to give them something to believe in that mm. you can be great from right here in America. You don't have to move to Albany. You don't mm-hmm. have to go to Atlanta. Yeah. You don't have to go to Florida or anywhere. You can be great right here, right mm-hmm. now where you are. Yeah. And then fourthly, I think they just need something to do. And so mm-hmm. I think in America is finding ways to engage the young people. I was so encouraged this week. Uh, my nephews play basketball. And, um, and so, of course, they came, Uncle Aaron, can you, we want you to come and we want you to watch us play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I had to. Yeah. I was obligated. But when I went out to Staley Middle School gym mm. and I saw that gym filled with people watching these young people play basketball, and there were all different races there. And just to see that mm-hmm. uh, gave me hope for the future. And to the people who are doing that through the recreation department and all these things. Because the young people, they have to have something to do. Yeah. And I was privileged to have a mentor. And her name was Teresa White. Mm. She's still here in America. If you get a chance, you should talk to her. Okay. In Incredible, And she's still impacting the youth of um, the city to this day. And every year we have at my church, Unite Holiness, mm-hmm. they would have a youth convention. And wow. it would draw and she would go out into some of the uh, neighborhoods in America that they said were the bad neighborhoods mm-hmm. or the, the wrong neighborhoods. And she would go into there on, on foot, yeah. walk door to door inviting them to the youth convention. And so when youth convention came, time came in July, it, the church used to be filled with young people. Mm. Um, and they didn't understand church. They didn't understand yeah. God. They didn't understand religion, but it didn't matter. Yeah. She gave them something to do yeah. and a reason to be there. And so she's, my, she's one of my heroes to this day. Um, and she still lives here in Americas. Uh, and so I think the young people just need examples like that of people yeah. that say, hey, they believe in us. Mm-hmm. They believe in the young people. They, they see the best. Because in this day and time, it's so easy to see the worst and to say, oh, that they're a lost cause and they're, mm-hmm. you know, discipled by TikTok and discipled mm-hmm. by, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Instagram and all the things. But I really believe that these young people have the tenacity and the resilience um, to really do something great. Yeah. And if we can just take their energy, mm-hmm. they have the energy 
we that are older, we have the wisdom. Yeah. And if we can marry their energy with our wisdom <laughs> and give them direction and guidance, I think we can literally change the world from right here in America's Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, and I agree. I mean, I think America's has, like you said, the word so much potential to be a part of history. Yeah. Continually, right? It's already been a part of history, continuing that tradition. Like we talk about a lot of traditions in the South. That needs to be a tradition that we, what we start here goes into the world. Yeah. And so, you know, where, where other cities, big or small, are, are trying to even deal with race relations and things like that. Mm-hmm. What if Americus was a part of that and it just continued to say, our tradition is, our values are, we're going to constantly help change the world yeah. through this small town. Yes. Um, so yes. those are some of the hopes. And that's one of the, one of the reasons why I'm even here is because I feel that potential. I'm, like you said, maybe, maybe you're here in America, so you've lived here all your life. You're just like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. I don't see these things. Well, coming from the outside, looking at the world and seeing different things, and then coming here and going, you don't know what you have. It's here. Um, and we can be a part of it together. Um, and so just, just having that um, is, is encouraging to me. And I, I'm very thankful to be here. I feel like we're on this wave. And, and, and you just get on the, the board. I don't know how to surf, but, I mean, you just get on and you just, you just ride this wave. Let's do this together. Yes. So I, I'd love to hear. That there's two things on the form. We asked everyone to kind of fill out a form. One of those forms was, co- going back to Americus, um, is... The idea of the, 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 the arts program here, you mentioned like, man, I wish more people knew uh, about this. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, the arts at America's High School when I was there uh, was a huge thing mm-hmm. um, from the band. We were uh, a band from America's, but still playing the hardest music Mm-hmm. Um, and still winning in many ways from the singers, America's High singers. You know, the fine arts, obviously, that's something I'm very, very passionate about. Mm. And uh, I think America's has so many talented mm. youth and talented people. And um, especially in my community, the, you know, for African-Americans, a lot of times we may feel that sometimes if our kids are not playing sports, mm-hmm. that sports is the way. Yeah. And I, I think it's a way to keep our kids motivated. But what I would love for our city is to find the, the other creative arts mm-hmm. that are within our students, because not every kid is going to play a sport. A sport. Not every kid is going to be great at football or basketball, mm-hmm. uh, but they could be a great artist, and they could be a great painter, mm-hmm. and they could be a great musician. Yes. And I would love for us as a community to d- find ways that we can give back in the in terms of creative arts, performing arts, fine arts to to our students. Um, I often joke and with my family and tell them if I move back to America's, which who knows what Mm -hmm. God has in store. The first thing I want to do is create a performing arts school, Mm -hmm. a school that can give kids the ability to learn musical craft and to learn about arts and creative Mm -hmm. things to play on that creative side of the brain, because I think that is what's going to help them academically. It's going to give them Mm -hmm. all those four things that I mentioned. It's going to give them a higher uh, uh, propensity to do well in school, a reason to go to school. Yeah. And so I would just love to see our city embrace even more 
of the cultural performing arts, especially mm-hmm. from our, our young people. Yeah. We have some talented people uh, in our city. And the, the churches mm-hmm. are great ways to allow students and kids to exercise mm-hmm. those gifts like they did for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think it, I think you're, you're right. Um, when it comes to knowing that children have different avenues and giftings and yeah. be able to supply as many resources to those to where you don't feel like you're just in the box of, well, if you don't play sports really well, there's really nothing for you to do. Right. We've got to continue to find op- opportunities to engage and say, you don't have to be great at sports to be a great whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and so we want to continue to invest into that. And I think that that's really amazing. Um, so, yeah. So, and another question that you, uh, that we ask is, is what, what are some things in Americus, uh, that we need to continue to progress in, to continue to grow in? And one of those was race relations. And so I would love to spend just a few minutes just kind of talking about that together. Um, and, um, you have already kind of mentioned some of those things. Um, so I, I'd love to hear again, maybe some, what, what have been some things that you have been encouraged by, whether it's just a history of Americus in very specific ways? For example, we talk about benchmarks and metrics. We're, we're talking about, okay, if we want to grow in race relations, what would that actually look like if it was being successful? And what are some things that we need to be mindful of that's not going to take us down that, that, that path? So I'd love to hear maybe some things, again, whether that's past or maybe some present things that you would be encouraged by in, in race relations. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the encouraging thing is that I've seen, even from as an outsider, I've seen so many things get better. Mm. Um, even from, I think the is it the first Fridays? Yeah. You know, the community things that I'm seeing where we, you know, bringing people into the community of Americas, mm-hmm. getting them to buy in to all the great things that we have here uh, as as a city. Mm. I think it really starts to be honest, with the small interactions. Mm. The reality is we're not going to change race relations. I mean, hundreds of years of race relations overnight. Mm -hmm. But it does start, and I would encourage everyone, take my challenge, and invite someone that looks different from you into your home. Mm. Invite someone that believes different than you into your home. I think... It starts at the table. Mm-hmm. And for many years as African-Americans, we did not have a seat at the table mm. just from a global perspective. But I think now we're at a place where on both sides, we can hear each other's heart. Mm-hmm. And it starts with just conversations, not even direct conversations about race relationships. Yeah. yeah. But as we begin to learn about each other's story because we all have a story and we all have experiences that have shaped our perspective and view of life. As we begin to sit and one of the most vulnerable times is around the table. Mm -hmm. And when I can let down my guard and you can let down your guard, I can let down my fear. You can let down your fear. I think that's when we can open up to see, Hey, you know what? We're really not as different as we once thought. Mm. But it starts at the table. Yeah. So my challenge is just simply invite someone that's different than you. And, and, and it may not be your house. It may be going out to dinner, going mm-hmm. out for coffee, going out for lunch with them. But I think it starts in those small interactions that then grow into something, something bigger. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I would like to see from our city um, and one, one of the things that's really passionate about me, uh, passionate for me is seeing 
Sunday morning, I want Sunday morning mm. not to be the most segregated time in our yeah. city. Yeah. That we can go to work with each other and great, and we can go and see each other at restaurants, and we can go into the community and see each other. But then on Sunday morning, they go to their church and we go to our church. Mm-hmm. And I believe we're at a time, it's a kingdom time, where God is bringing people of different races together to worship. Yeah. Even our music is changing, you know, yeah. gospel is becoming more like CCM and yeah. CCM is becoming more like gospel. And I think that's all for a, a bigger purpose. Yeah. And I would love to see more integrated churches in Americas mm. that are intentional about inviting the opposite race into their church because everyone wants that, yeah. right? But how many of our churches are willing to go into the opposite community mm-hmm. and show them the number one thing that binds us together, that's the love of Jesus. Yeah. That would begin to bring in people of different races and people of all ages and yeah. all races and all kinds of people. That's what our churches should look like. Yeah. All ages, all races, all kinds in this, like, kind of like Noah's Ark, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Mm. that we're all in this together. Mm. And I, I would love to see here in America that we become more intentional mm-hmm. from a, uh, the church, a religious standpoint of bringing different people into our, our, our churches. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and I, one hundred percent. I mean, uh, we we talked on the phone even a little bit about this, and I was so encouraged by your heart by your love for people, by your love for Jesus, and and how that all brings us to the same table. You yes. know, the table isn't mine, the table isn't yours. The table that's been presented is, it's Jesus's yes. table at the end of Revelation. This is his wedding, yes. we are his church. We're all gonna be sitting down together at the same table. And if we can see that that future reality is going to be real, how do we live that out today? You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that that's coming. Yeah. What would it look like today? And yeah. and I think, you know, we definitely want to advocate for larger things, larger systematic things, larger city things. But as those things are being developed, we can still engage one another individually. Absolutely. And again, that's why neighboring is so important. That's why what we're talking about is... And to be a next level neighbor is to invite people into your space. Yes. And yes. let them know that that you want to be invited into their spaces too. Because ultimately the idea is is that we want to share our stories with others. Um, and we want to see healing take place. Um, but in order to do that, you've got to put yourself in a very vulnerable position. You do. And I think part of that vulnerability is becoming a mirror to your community. Yes. So as an African-American man, I have to be a mirror to my community. There's certain things I can say to my community that you may not be able to say. Mm. As a Caucasian white male, you have to be a mirror to your community. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Um, there, When I go into my community, I have to be vulnerable enough to say, Black on black crime is wrong. Mm -hmm. And we have to deal with the family structures within the black community. We have to deal with certain elements within my community that we have to fix, Mm. you know? And we can't just go around just saying we we are victims now. Mm -hmm. We have the power and the empowerment to change and to bring bring the best out of our community. There's certain, I can say that, that Mm -hmm. other people who are not 
in my community may not be able to say that. So yes. I've become a mirror to my community. But yeah. I think we also need mirrors in the white community. Yeah. You know, people in the white community telling other white friends and neighbors that, hey, mm -hmm. this is how we can bring African American. This is their story. Yeah. This is their what they've had to go through. They may not have known that the city of America has had to shut down on Wednesdays mm -hmm. in order to to sell slaves. Mm -hmm. And this was not that long ago. Yeah. So I think we need mirrors in both community and we need mirrors in the Hispanic community. Yeah. You know, in all of our communities that can stand up be be willing to be vulnerable to say this is what we have to do internally. Mm -hmm. We have to fix some of these things, but then as we're fixing that, we have to cross the bridge yeah. and become a bridge and not a wall mm -hmm. and become a bridge to our other communities that yeah. we live with. I love that. I love that. And again, coming from a person and a perception of, of faith, I know that maybe not everyone's going to agree with that and say, you know, here's things that we want to just do to kind of help shape and mold that. I believe that there's even a deeper issue that Christ actually reconciles those yes. things as well, right? That yes. He is the ultimate reconciler, that what, we, what we're able to do on earth is actually a deeper truth for what God has done spiritually, eternally Absolutely. for us. And, and if we can begin to believe, like you said, people need something to believe in, believe that. So for example, that if, if we have the same heavenly father who has adopted us, then we're brothers Yes. and you don't have to do something for me to become my brother. I just need to function as if that were true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now that's going to look the, that's going to look like reconciliation, but ultimately we already know we're already reconciled because Jesus said we were. Yes. I just got to figure out how to do that well. So I'm not I'm not uh, doing to reconcile. I'm doing it because we have been reconciled, and I'm just trying to live that out. And it's gonna sometimes it'll look the same. You know, two people sitting in the church, same pew, you know, same, different perspectives, different situations. We're at the table mm -hmm. already. Jesus mm -hmm. says we're at the table. Mm -hmm. Are we living like it? Mm -hmm. um, and then we're gonna have these conversations. But the deeper root isn't our culture or our experiences. Our deeper root is. We have the same Heavenly Father. That's right. How are, we gonna, how are we gonna do this together? That's right. And then those conversations, when it feels like there's a lot of tension, a lot of emotions that come from past, and we're trying to say, all right, how are we gonna do this? We're not gonna hold on to those tensions of that history, that culture. We're gonna hold on to Christ. Yes, yes. And say, look, I don't know how we're gonna do this, but we have the same Heavenly Father. We have the same Christ. We're gonna trust in Him. So let's continue to have this. Let's yes. continue to work through that. So yes. I think that that's really huge, and, it's, and it is difficult, but if we start... Like you said, on an individual level, instead of trying to change a whole culture, like let's just change how we perceive it, and maybe it'll right the ripple effect, right? Yes, and and, and like you said, Christ helps us with that. We see the perfect example mm. of that in the life that He lived. Yeah, you know, and passing through the cross is where we see that reconciliation happen. Mm. You know, it was at the cross that we saw how. His final words as he was on his throne, so to speak, which yes. was the cross. Yes, yeah. His final words were, forgive them. Yeah. You know, and I think when we show that forgiving, I think life is forgiving, mm -hmm. where we forgive each other. Yep. It, al it also is forgiving yes. when we give to our neighbor, mm -hmm. like that, that Caucasian male Mm -hmm. white male did for me when it was time mm -hmm. for me to go to college. He yeah. gave something out of himself. Yeah. And when we can give of ourselves, of our experience, our stories, mm -hmm. our things that really have touched us, when we can give that to someone that doesn't think, look, yes. act like us, 
I think we're being we're we're never more like Christ mm-hmm. than when we give. That's right. That's right. And knowing again, just speaking of Christ, knowing that He did things because that's who He was. Yes. And people either received him or rejected him, right? Yeah. So it wasn't, I'm only going to serve people that receive me. <laughs> right. I'm going to serve people that reject me too. Yes. Yes. And so that's that's the the realization of, you know, hey, we're sacrificing every day to serve others. Yeah. Whether they receive it or not, that's not that's not up to me. But it's, it, it's my job to be able to believe that Christ, I mean, another thing that he said on the cross was, it is finished. What is finished? <laughs> right. Are we living like things are finished or are we living like we need to add to it? Right. 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 And so that, that's the tension is, is what do we need to add? Well, if Jesus says it's finished, then we need to figure out what that means. And we need to start living out of that, which yeah. is ghost things like forgiveness, confession. Let's have conversations. Not, not to gain something, but to know that we, it's already been given to us and we're just living it out. Now, again... On a practical level, there's a lot of things that we can do. And that's why I love your fourth thing was like, we still got to give people things to do. Yeah. You know? So I, <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I think, again, just sitting at the table is one of the most simple ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, because what it does is it opens up, again, people in, to, to come into your space and let them know that this is a space for them to be a part of. And again, you're, you're, you're being intentional. You want to go into people's spaces. And, and that, that is probably a simple way of seeing what we want to see in the future anyway, as, as things come together. So I love it. I love it. Um, I I would, the only thing I want to add to that, or maybe a question is, is as we're looking towards that, that future reality. And and again, things are, are happening. Sometimes we want to see it on a very systematic level. You know, it's very difficult for me, even as an individual of saying, you know, who needs to say what, you know, where do they need to say it? It's like, well, if we're talking about individuals, it's a little bit easier because I don't know this person in this town needs to say this thing, but I knew that I need to say this thing, and we can at least reconcile on an individual level, and we can work towards that that greater reconciliation, right? Absolutely. Um, but what are some things that maybe, again, just obstacles to that to say, okay, if that's where we're wanting to go, what are some things that we need to be mindful of uh, that you know that might be landmines or just you know just wrong ways of doing it? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what we said earlier that you have to allow people to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I want you to learn about me, mm-hmm. but I don't want to change you into me. Yeah, I want to respect you for you and your mm-hmm. experiences and your background, your stories. Um, and I think one of the things that if we're not careful, we'll try to standardize to everybody, put everybody on the same. You know, one of the worst things people would say is, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. Because when you say that, you're saying you don't see me because mm-hmm. I am color. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the worst things people can say. And what we understand what they mean when they say that. Yeah. But what we actually should say is that even beyond the color, we're, we all bleed the same blood. Yeah. You know, and from a Christian perspective, we're all sons and daughters of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. Of, of God. And so I think we have to appreciate people for who they are. Yeah. Uh, accept people where they are. Mm-hmm. Not trying to make them something that they're not, yeah. Um, but also being open to listen. And I think if more people would l- just—I know it sounds simple—but more yeah. people would just listen to people's stories. 
I think they may be able to gather and gain a greater perspective yeah. of where they are and, yeah. and, and appreciate them for that. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, coming from a Christian perspective, um, I believe that Christians have the ultimate way of reconciling um, that that no other can touch. I really believe that. I'm yeah. like, all right, if there's a way for this to be reconciled, it's this way. It's it's the Absolutely. most beautiful. It's the story that's affected not just my personal life, but my family and my friends. Like, I mean, obviously, you know that that's my hope is that what this actually looks like. Um, and I feel like Christians can do it where maybe others can't or maybe are struggling a little bit deeper. I believe that Christians have it, and that's so right. I'm excited about that. And we just need to utilize that and recognize like, okay, we, we keep talking on Sunday mornings about these things, but what does that look like practically? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm excited for the potential yes. of, of what we can do as Christians when we come together and say, hey, you know, our primary, so for example, like you said, we have secondary identities. We do. We have our, our race, we have our culture, we have our experiences, we have our last names, we have all of those things. But if we can say those are our secondary to the primary identity, that's what's going to hold us. Yes, right. Our, that, that will hold the Christian together yes. so that we could talk about the secondary identities that are important. They yes. just don't overpower. And I think that's the, that's the struggle that we have sometimes is whether it's a political view or whatever, it's yes. like, why are we making that primary as Christians? Yes. Those are secondary. We need to talk about them. We need to share stories. We need to, but like, we need to get back to the primary, what the, the thing that holds us together. Yes. And that's that tension that you're talking about of like, you may not be there, but like, I, I know that my primary identity is this first. And yes. I think, uh, so we need to talk about both or yeah. more. We, yeah. we have multiple ways that we can describe ourselves, but as Christians, that's where we have to, to, to hold each other. Yes. And, and I think that, that there gives a lot of hope in that. So, okay, well, um, we're about to step into some rapid fire questions, I, but I wanted to make sure if you didn't want to like add to that, just kind of throw some, a, a few more into that, or if you're, or if you're ready to go for the, some of these rapid fire questions. Well, I am ready for the rapid okay. fire questions, but I, <laughs> yeah. I just want to just say that's a hundred percent. Jesus at the center, mm-hmm. you know, he's at the center of it all. And, and the, the apostles, when they went out into in Acts, they turned the world upside down because mm-hmm. of their radical love and expression of what Jesus stood for. Yeah. You know, and I believe if we can go back and, and just go back to the center of it all, which is Jesus, preach Jesus, yeah. live Jesus, show Jesus in what we do mm-hmm. and our neighboring yep. every single day. Literally, we can turn the world upside down, yeah. one person at a time. Yep, yep. And and I'll just say this too. I think it was Juanita. She had mentioned because I asked her. I was like, uh, "How did you know?" It was either Juanita or her sister uh, Tina. I said, "How did you know? Did, did, was there a moment where you knew that you were making the impacts?" And she was like, "I had no idea. I was just living life." And I was trying to be faithful with what I was doing. And now we're telling her story. Yeah. Like it's in articles, it's in, it's in history. So we may not know the impact that we make. We might be like, oh, I don't feel like we're changing anything by doing these subtle things. But you have no idea 50 years from now what we're doing now matters more than we could ever imagine. So, you know, just keep being faithful in the small things and the Lord will give you, you know, more responsibilities and and those types of things as well. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's step into some of these rapid fire questions again, getting a chance to get to know you a little bit, uh, (laughs) just have really enjoyed uh, this conversation. So, uh, okay. Let me ask you this as you know, with, 
idea of music. What would be your dream performance, including maybe a particular band that you would love to lead or, or just a place? Like I love my band, but I would love to perform here. Like, do you have like a dream, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Snarky Puppy. Uh, go look them up. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. <laughs> no, they, they're like a fusion band. They, they have the keyboard, the drums. So they, they have all different types of music kind of fused into one. They have okay. strings and trumpets. Wow. Love Snarky Puppy. They're from Denton, Texas, which is where I live, literally. Okay. Okay. So Snarky Puppy would be the band that I would love to play with. Uh, and, of course, Carnegie Hall. I mean, yeah. you can't. There's nothing else. Nothing greater. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, let me ask you, uh, what was uh, your favorite game play, playing as a child? What, what, what did you love to play as a kid? Uh, you mean like whatever, video game? Whatever, yeah, whatever. Oh, if I'm it was old a score school. or if it was a video game, what? What do you got? Oh, uh, that's a good one. I, I love video. I, you know, I'm Super Mario Brothers all the way. Come on. Old school. <laughs> that's my generation. Uh, but I love wrestling. Nice. Okay. WWF, WCW. I my parents can Bring tell it you back old school. I was WWF. a re- listen. I was like mm-hmm. all in. I used to have this little board. I would create tournaments. Then I would act out. The t- I had this huge bear. I would act out the tournaments yes. on my bed. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And I had a stack of wrestling magazines when they used to sell the magazines. Wow! Come on now. I had a stack this big. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what happened to all of those. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so top three wrestlers then. Oh, man. Okay, great question. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Come on. Andre the Giant. Yeah, he's got to be there. Yeah, and The Undertaker. Undertaker, man. Do you remember such that? Such a solid. Yeah, yes, yeah yes. solid. <laughs> he still makes some appearances here and there. I know really? over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I know that he's, I think he's like officially retired now. But uh, man, I mean, just watching the crowd, oh, he just, yeah. he was a performer, man. Oh, yeah. He was oh, a yeah. performer. The music would come on. Yeah. I mean, it was, and the, I think I liked it because it was so creative. You had the music in it, <laughs> yeah. and you had the, you know, the imagery, the costuming. I, it was everything. Yeah, was everything. yeah. His whole, his whole persona was amazing, and they, he did such a great job at doing it. Funny um, story, my kids, really quick, my kids actually knew I loved wrestling growing up at mm-hmm. my old school in Florida, and so they brought a wrestling match to my school, and I got a chance to put on a wrestling. It was back when I was like, you know, I was like really working out, and uh-huh. I wrestled. I had a wrestling match. What? Yes. That yes. is, that is yeah. awesome. A lot of fun. <laughs> Okay, uh, worst job you ever had, or just the, the as a performer myself, like the worst performance. You're like, I can't believe that happened. I can't, I, you know, like for example, with me playing drums, uh, there's moments where I've played on a stage without uh, a, a carpet or a rug, and I'm like, you know, the the drum is like five feet from me now, and I'm like trying to play with one. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Uh, anything <laughs> like that that you want to share? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh... What was the first one worst? Is either like the worst job you've ever had? Okay, let me start with that okay. one. Okay, all right. Worst job, Domino's Pizza Delivery Boy. Nice. When I went to college, I had never had a job because my whole job, as I told you, was working in church as a music mm-hmm. director. I would get like, you know, $75 a month. And that's so right. high school, that's like a big deal. <laughs> um, but I got to college. I wanted to try to get a job. So I got a job as a Domino's Boy Delivery. I had to put the little mm-hmm. sign on my car. 
Worst job ever. Uh, worst performance ever. I was getting ready to have a performance. Uh, I had my tuxedo and everything. And yeah. I don't know what I was. I was kidding around because I'm, I'm very playful. So I was playing around, you know, just trying to get hyped up. And I did something. I jumped in the air, landed, and my pants split. Oh, no. So I'm trying to conduct, and I'm, like, trying to get that covered. It was the most... And the kids knew of this, and mm-hmm. they're just laughing. Like, yeah. they're, they're like, some of them crying because it was so funny watching me <laughs> try to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was the worst performance ever. Yes. Oh, man. Those are just seared into your mind. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night person? Night person. Night person. We'll stay up all night. Not you a like two person. o'clock in the morning kind of guy. Oh yeah. Okay. That's when I do my most. That's mm-hmm. that's it's like when the creative juices flow mm-hmm. late at night. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you have for breakfast in the morning? I don't really eat breakfast, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a big breakfast person. Okay. That's all right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite tradition or holiday? Christmas mm-hmm. for sure. Um, Favorite tradition? That's a hard mm-hmm. one. I think it's just coming together at Christmas time. You, you know, I told you my family sings. Yeah. So we'll all get in at the time, and then my grandmother, who's the matriarch of my family, uh, she always has to pray, mm-hmm. and she always has to open up the doors of you know if you want to repent, if you want to give your life to Christ. Come on. Even Come to this on. day, she does that. That's right. <laughs> you know, and then after that, we all sit around. We just sing Christmas carols, and it's beautiful because the harmony and everything, mm-hmm. that's every year, and I look forward to that. I love that. <laughs> all right, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? I want to go to Tokyo, Japan. Okay. Tokyo, right. Japan. It combines traditional, the traditional um, Asian aspect of those things. I, I love traditional Asian culture, mm-hmm. but it also has this futuristic vibe mm, to it yeah. um, and I just love the marrying of those two uh, the juxtaposition of those two two dichotomies so, okay okay yeah uh, what is your what's your favorite book that you've ever read uh, Soul Craving okay I don't know if you've read that book but it's a um, I forget the author, unfortunately, but it's a great book. Uh, it's called Soul Craving, and it's talking about how we all have a soul mm-hmm. that's craving for something. Mm. It's craving for, essentially, it gets to the point that it's craving for love. Yeah. And then it gets to the point yeah. that love is God. Wow. Uh, but that book kind of changed everything mm. for me. Like, yeah. oh, wow, my my soul, you know, my, my body can look great, mm-hmm. uh, but if my soul is yearning for something, there's something deeper. So, that's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you could be an expert of anything new right now, what would it be? An expert of yes. anything new. Even if it's like uh, another musical instrument, you know, like I wish, you know. Oh, wow. Um, basketball. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From this week. Because when you're coming in three times a year, you're just like, just dunking on folks. You're just like. Oh, no. <laughs> Not me. No. Watching those young people this week play basketball and they're like this age. Yes. And they're like. Like playing it and mm-hmm. dunking it and doing all this. I'm like, I wish I could do that. How did I miss that calling? Because basketball is my, I like football, but basketball yeah. is my worst sport. Yep. So if I could yep. be an expert into anything right now, it would be basketball for sure. Okay. All right. Last question. Yeah. Uh, what are people most likely to misunderstand about you? Mm, that's a great question. Sometimes, 
I think they'll misunderstand the fact that I'm a true introvert. Mm. I'm very introverted. And sometimes they see me performing. They see me, you know, with the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the core of my being, yeah. if I could be by myself alone in a quiet space, mm-hmm. um, that's what I would rather prefer. So yeah. I'm an introvert at heart. Um, and... And one of the things, another thing I would like people to know about me that they may not realize is that my heart is um, so soft mm. and sensitive for life. And there's something I never want to lose. Mm. When I was younger, I was bullied. Um, they called me tender heart. Mm. And at the time, it was my family. At the time, I, it really bothered me mm-hmm. because... Uh, they were saying in a way where he's just so tender and he'll cry at anything. But as I've gotten older, I've embraced that. Wow. And I never want my heart to be hard. Yeah. I always want to keep a tender heart for yes. people and for life and for every experience that I'm graciously allowed to have. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Well, you have shown a lot of just even just encourage. I've I've been encouraged, which means that you've been encouraging me which that word is really that your, your courage has shown through, you know, I mean, especially like you just said, if I, I could be in a room and be completely fine, but I'm going to be out here uh, with crowds of people leading people that, that takes a lot of courage. And so the, even the things that we've talked about today, it takes a lot of courage. And I'm so thankful for your story. Aaron Snipes the uh, third. <laughs> so thankful for you coming, uh, spending a little bit of time with us right before you head back to Texas. Um, I've really enjoyed this podcast. And like I said, I hope we continue to have conversations together uh, for personal, uh, but also uh, even to see how this city can continue to grow together. Absolutely. I want to thank so. you for allowing me, inviting me to be here. Um, what you are doing is bigger than mm. you, maybe bigger than what you realize. And when mm. I saw this podcast and I looked outside of that window, I saw an Americas that I had not seen before. Mm. And it compelled me to reach out to you. Yeah. So you're doing something, and sometimes it takes an outsider coming in to see the true treasures mm. that are in this city. Yeah. So thank you for doing that and, and building bridges all over this Amen. town. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate thank you. you.